Let's stand and read. After that, he went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. And Jesus gave a big reception for him in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them. The Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, It's not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Please be seated. Well, today is going to be a bit shorter in my message, only because we had to do communion as well. And so with the time constraints, I have to pick and choose how to do things. But uh, no doubt, even though it'll be a little bit shorter, it'll still be enriching because God's word never, God's word never fails to surprises. A lot of applications here in, in uh, these short verses, and I'm, I'm not even going to capture everything that could be said. <clears throat> but you'll notice in verse 27 that Luke records that it was after that that Jesus noticed a tax collector named Levi. So we want to establish, therefore, what happened before this, because this is what's Pre, uh, the prelude to after this. In order we understand the context, let me fill you in on the, the event then. And it was the healing of the paralytic. It's a very famous miracle that Jesus did. For those of you who may not be totally familiar with it, let me just fill you in on the details and the quick summary. Jesus is in uh, the, the northern tip of Galilee on the sea. He's early on in his ministry. And even though it's in early stages, he's gained a huge following already. He's become very popular. And he couldn't go anywhere without being inundated with massive crowds. So one day in particular, he's in a home and he's, he's teaching. And there's massive crowds just jamming the house. And this paralytic and his friends hear that he's come to, this, to their region. So they scramble, obviously, and they get to the house. But lo and behold, it's a desperate situation because the house is so packed, they can't actually get to Jesus. So in their ingenuity, they climb the roof somehow, get the paralytic up there to open the tiles of the roof and make a hole and lower him through um, in, in front of Jesus. Now, Jesus doesn't heal him right away. Instead, he stuns the crowds by declaring that he has the authority to forgive his sins. And of course, this ticked off the religious leaders who were listening to this, and it created this sort of like massive contention between them. But Jesus says this, or Jesus went and healed him, but he did it with a specific reason. He said, just so you know that I have the authority to forgive, just like God does. Just so you know that I will heal him. In other words, the healing wasn't the, the chief goal. The healing was to prove that he had the authority of God to be the forgiver of sins. Now this is a theme coming into to Levi when he says after that, after that. So we already have in the context that, the, that what's going on here is that Jesus has the authority to forgive sinners. That's the context when we come into Levi. So notice that Luke says that he's a tax collector. Now that's an important observation due to who a tax collector was in Jesus' day and what that represented in Jewish society. To put it bluntly, uh, you're the scum of Israel if you're a tax collector. And the reason is, is that, remember, Rome's in power, 
And so, as, and Israel is not autonomous anymore. But Rome wants their money. They want taxes from all its citizens. And so because the Jews are subjugated to them, they hire and employ Jewish people to work for their government to take money from their own people. <laughs> so you can imagine how much contention this would cause with Jewish people. When their own countrymen are working for the enemy as a traitor and taxing their own people. But the problem was more than this. The problem was that they would become wealthy off their own people. It's one thing to work for the enemy and tax fairly and just collect what's due to the Roman government. The problem with these guys is they would take more than they were required to and line their own pockets and become very, very wealthy off of the profiting off their own people. Now turn back with me, just, this is really important, just one page or two pages in the Bible to Luke chapter 3 verse 10. I want to show you that tax collectors were known for collecting more than they should. This is a famous scene, John the Baptist is baptizing and people from all over are coming. Jesus hasn't started the ministry yet, he's, he's still waiting in the wings so to speak. And the crowds were questioning him and saying, what, and they're coming for uh, baptism for repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And they said, what should we do? Well, how do we live with knowing that the Messiah is coming? And he said to them, the man who has two tunics is to share to him the one who has none, and he who has food is to do likewise. And tax collectors came to be baptized and said, what shall we do? He says, collect no more than what you have been ordered to. <laughs> you think the tax collectors had any other sins other than that? Of course they did. Why did they pick on that one? Because that was what they were known for. Now, evidently, there's a really important observation right in this text that tells you Levi was a really good one. He's a really good cheat. He was the kind of guy that should have been at John the Baptist's baptism. Look at verse 29. He gave a big reception for Jesus in his house, and there was a great crowd of tax collectors and gathered. Uh, people with a, very little money can't really give big receptions. <laughs> can't throw, as my other translations say, banquets. And they can't gather great crowds. They can't provide for all these people. Clearly, Levi was ripping people off and doing a great job at it. He was a rich man. So, Jesus comes to the scum of society. This guy, while he's at work sitting in his tax booth and says, come and follow me. Follow me. So what's Levi's response? In verse 28, he says, he left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. This is a key phrase here, church. This is what the whole sermon is going to be about today as a primary topic. Is what does it mean? What did it mean for Levi to leave everything behind? What does that mean? Well, Luke earlier in chapter 5 and verse 11 has already used that phrase. It's the scene where the first disciples are called and they're fishing and they're catching nothing all night. And Jesus says, let your nets down on the other side. And they say, why would we do that? Like, we've been unsuccessful. He says, just trust me, do it. And they do it, and they catch an abundance of fish. And in verse 11, it says, when they had brought in their, bo their boats to land, they left everything and followed them. So clearly in that context, to leave everything behind is to leave their career behind. They left their career of fishermen to go and follow Jesus. 
Levi is leaving his tax collecting business behind to go and be a disciple. So in this case, leaving behind for, for them was a career change. For a career change. But it's more than that, church. There's more than that. You see, right before Peter left everything behind, look what happens in verse 8 in chapter 5. After they pulled in the huge boatload of fish, <laughs> he said, When Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. I am a sinful man. And then Jesus in response says, Do not fear, in verse 10, From now on you'll be catching men. To leave everything behind for Peter was to leave a life of sin behind. For Levi, it's to leave his past life of sin behind. Verse 32 makes that very clear in our, verse, in our chapter. When they're bickering with Jesus about why he was eating with Levi and all of the other, his other friends that were like him, Jesus says, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He's come to, he wasn't coming to just get, like, like he wasn't coming for this person. I'm going to get everybody in the world to change a career on behalf of me. <laughs> he said, that's not my goal. My goal is to call sinners to repentance. That's my goal. If that means for some changing career, so be it. For others, it may not be. So forgiveness is the context of Peter. It's the context of the paralytic. It's the context of Levi. To leave everything behind is, it may re re require a career change for some, like AKA your, the guy standing up here. But that's not what the primary means of calling, leaving everything behind is. It's also leaving a past that was, that was like Jesus came to deal with and to forgive and repentance is, a, is the heart of the issue. I guess the question right now for us is, is there anything in our lives right now that the Lord wants to deal with? If to leave everything for, behind for Christ is not only a career change, which he might be asking you to do, by the way, <laughs> but I'm not going to limit that, but is there anything right now in your life that he wants to deal with, that he would ask you to leave behind to be a disciple of his? You know the fastest way to uncover those things? What is it that you so adamantly want to hide from your friends and your family that you wish that you would never know about your character? What's the one thing you would not want anyone else in Genesis house to see privately that goes on in your life? Are you willing to come follow him and leave it behind for the sake of Christ? But there's one other cool thing about leaving everything behind here. One other really cool thing. You see, there's these thoughts sometimes in the Christian community that to leave everything for, behind for Jesus is to basically live a life of poverty. To, but I, this idea that to be holy, you have to have a minimalistic lifestyle. That uh, you, don't, you can't own anything and, you, and money and materialism is bad and all these types of things. 
this idea that it's, yeah, you have to always be a pauper and get, sell all your possessions to the poor in order to be, to be righteous with God. Well, you know what's really important about this? It says here in verse 28 that Levi did leave everything behind to follow Jesus. But look at verse 29. And then he gave a big reception for him in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were climbing at the table. Wait a minute, Levi. I thought you left everything behind. Didn't you get rid of your home? Didn't you get rid of your possessions? Didn't you like start eating craft dinner instead of steak? Like, what's wrong with you, Levi? But Luke says he left everything behind. Really important observation, church. Really important observation. It struck me. It struck me. Leaving everything behind according to this text does not mean ridding yourself of all wealth. It means repurposing your wealth for, Christ, for use for Christ. You don't rid yourself of it, you repurpose it. You now use it. The key two words in this verse is for him. He, Levi gave a big reception for, for him in his house. He took his possessions and didn't get rid of them. He says, I'm going to use them for Jesus. <laughs> Isn't that cool? That's so cool. Instead of living for self, he used it to serve Christ and fulfill his kingdom purposes. The great verse in 2 Corinthians. I use this verse in my own life and it's really, it's, it's front and central in my parenting with my kids. You only live for two individuals in this world. There's only two individuals you live for, according to Corinthians. For the love of Christ controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. <laughs> you live for yourself or you live for Jesus. There's no black and, it's black and white. There's no middle ground. Every decision you make is either for yourself or for Christ. There is no middle ground, according to Paul. When you're generous to your neighbor, you're either doing it to serve self or serve Jesus. When you tithe, you do it to serve self or serve Jesus. The actions can look identical on the outside, but there's a total difference in the way God understands what's going on in your heart. You can be wealthy and have tons of money, like a lot of us in our church do. I'm included in that, by the way. I'm a, I'm one, I, would, I would consider myself and my family a wealthy family. But the issue is, it doesn't make me less holy. What God wants you to do is repurpose it and use it for Him. For Him. This is so cool. So here's a question for all of us, including myself. I'm the first one the Lord speaks to every week. <laughs> Are we willing to open up our homes and use our resources that He's given us for Him? Are we willing to use these things and the things that we have as 
advance, for advancing the gospel, to introduce people to Jesus Christ. Levi's heartbeat was, I want to use my house so people can meet Jesus Christ. Or do we have that mentality in the way we approach our, our homes and our possessions? See, this is really important. See, our homes are not just a home. Our homes are a ministry center. <laughs> you know, hardly any conversions in the New Testament, hardly any conversions occur in a church gathering. Did you know that? Go through the entire New Testament. Where do they all occur? They occur at work. They like Levi at work. They occur in homes, which is Levi again here. And they occur in the community, out there. Most conversions in the New Testament don't occur in the synagogue or in the temple. They occur out there. Man, that should make us rethink ministry. I stand guilty. Well, how many years ago would it be? 12? 12 years ago. My attitude was this. This is my thinking, and I admit it. When I was attending E-Free, I used to think, who can I invite to church so George can preach a killer sermon so that when they hear the sermon, they'll be convicted and become a Christian, and I can go, cool, look what I did. I brought someone to church. That wasn't happening. I, the people I invited to church never became Christians. And so I thought, darn God, like, you know, George failed. <laughs> Started reshaping my heart. He goes, uh, why don't you get active? You get active. Open your resources. Open your homes. Give me your time. And two men came to Christ in one year through me rethinking ministry. Before church planting was even in my head. I went to George about a year later, and I said, George, i got to apologize to you for something you don't even know I held you accountable for. He goes, what? I said, I used to come to church thinking that you were responsible for everyone I brought bringing to Christ in terms of like your messages. I said, I realized now that I was completely wrong in my thinking. And George laughed, because he knew it was funny. He goes, hey, man, he, goes, and he was basically saying, I wish everyone else could come up to that conclusion themselves. I'm like, well, of course. I mean, I wish I figured this out years ago as well. But here's the thing. Invite people to Genesis House. Do that. Pray that the messages I preach bring people to know Jesus Christ. But don't rely on that. Don't bank on that. Use your homes, use your possessions as a ministry center to share the gospel. So cool from Levi. So this is a joyous occasion here. Really joyous occasion. But not all thought so. The Pharisees in verse 30 notice what's going on. And they say this. Uh, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why do you do that? The attitude of these guys was this. You know... You don't associate with people like this. Do you know their history? Do you know their background? Do you know what they've done? Do you know they don't give a rip about God or any sense of his morality? 
you are supposed to put distance between yourself and people like that. But what I love about this is that, notice they asked the disciples this question. The Pharisees and the scribes began grumbling at his disciples saying, so who do you think would answer the question? The disciples. Jesus butts in. <laughs> he wants to make sure they don't screw this one up. All right, look what Jesus says. Uh, I have not come to call, oh sorry, Jesus said, it is not those who are well who need a physician, it's those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What a profound answer in that day. Jesus says, um, my grace and my offer of forgiveness and God's grace and offer of forgiveness, that extends to everyone. There's no limitations to that abound. That's for everybody. Everybody. These guys included. And here's why it was important that he was with these people. Notice the definition he gives them. He says, these people are sick. They're sick. Now the context is obvious. He's not got a physical ailment. <laughs> it's a spiritual sickness. And they need Christ. He needs to be there because they're spiritually unhealthy. Now this is magnificent. This is a magnificent observation you can't miss either. So do you understand how Jesus views people that have not been forgiven by him and have not come to repentance? The definition Jesus gives people who are not right with him is spiritually sick. Spiritually sick. Why do I highlight this? If you're anything like me, you feel the pull and the tension in this. You have, right now in your lives, like I do, loved ones, close family, close sisters, close brothers, uncles, aunts, grandparents, parents, you name it, friends that you love like dearly. You can have spiritual conversations with some of them, and they're even sort of like, um, some of them might even be, not even object, uh, don't even object to Christianity, but it's just, that's for you, but not for me. And so, because of that pull, we think, well, I think God might think they're good with God. Like, you know, like I, like he, surely he just sort of loved them into the kingdom and just offer, like extend that forgiveness to them like he has to me. There's that pull to, to not want to go there with, our, with those people and, and, and that are close to us and because we just think that, that, you know, they've been so good to us and they're so amazing with us. Like, how, how could God not accept them? <laughs> but Jesus' description is this. Every single person is sick apart from repentance and forgiveness found in Him. You know, the pull in my heart is this, that my boys may grow up one day when they're 16, 17, 20, and they may not be walking with the Lord. Like, and for me in, in my position, like, I would be like, well, Lord, surely, surely they're okay with you. And Jesus says, Andrew, your children are sick. They need me. Like the pull, 
you better be gripping your heart as a parent or as a loved one with someone you care about. Like, this is the issue. But here's why this matters. If we don't understand Jesus' description of people in this way, you will never share your faith with anyone. You won't do it. You'll be too afraid. Or actually, not too afraid. You'll think they're okay with God. This is critical if you're going to start being an evangelist and sharing your heart about Jesus. You won't do verse 29. You will not do verse 29 if you don't believe that that is a true statement. Levi has invited his non-believing friends in Jesus to his house for him. What can we learn from this passage? I told you it's full of life application. <laughs> for one to leave everything behind to follow Jesus, A. One does not necessarily have to rid themselves of all wealth and possessions, but seeks to repurpose it for the sake of Christ. That is so clear. He left everything behind through a big reception. He's not minimizing his stuff. He is repurposing his stuff. Number two. To leave everything behind to follow Jesus, one must repent from their sinful past. That is so clear in the text. Peter, paralytic, Levi. That's the context of the passage. Repent means to basically abandon and like, like run like hell from the past life of sin and embrace what God has for us. Okay? I'll put these back up uh, when we have dialogue because I have to rush through them. Number two, another lesson from Levi. As believers, Jesus loves it when we open up our homes and uses our possessions as a means of sharing the truth about him with others. Man, is Jesus pumped when you do that. When you make your home a place and use your possessions as an evangelistic ministry center, oh boy, does he like that. <laughs> that is clear from the text. Lessons from Jesus on his side. And I didn't highlight these in the sermon, but we'll highlight them now. There is no past life of sin that Jesus is not willing to, nor lacks the authority to forgive. You know what's amazing about this? Look at the, who this guy is. Look at his past background. He's collecting more than he should. He's a scum of society. He's hated. He's a traitor. He's really wealthy because he was so crooked. Jesus says, I'm going to call you to be my disciple. You. That's so awesome, church. You don't matter how wicked your past has been or how immoral you've been or whatever, if you repent and come to know Christ, He will use you, or so He will forgive you, He's willing to forgive, and He does not lack the authority to make that call in your life either. What a powerful illustration from Jesus Christ. The only person that prevents us being forgiven is yourself. Your unwillingness to allow Him to take that on for you. But that's incredible. Number two, there's no past life of sin that could ever disqualify us from being used by Jesus in ministry service. He didn't say, well, let me see your spiritual resume. If it lines up with me right now, uh, if it's any good, you can be a disciple. Goes through, well, you broke you know, seven of the Ten Commandments, so, well, that's not good enough for me. You need to break only four. <laughs> that's not how he works. You're called into ministry service by his, purely by His grace. 
purely on the banks of his merits. Some of the God's greatest leaders in the church, or in, actually not in the church, God's latest, greatest leaders anywhere throughout history has been people with wicked pasts. Ready for them? Moses, a murderer, led the people of Israel faithfully. Um, King David, adultery and murder, a man after, a man after God's own heart. Rahab, the prostitute. You know what she did for a living? And she's a Hebrews 11 example model of faith. Pretty bad pass. All qualify based on God's grace. So cool. So if you have this attitude, well, I'm not good enough for God, and I can't do this for God, and He can't use me, that is garbage. That's in your own head. But you come to Him, repent, and receive the forgiveness He offers, and He will open up doors for you like crazy. It doesn't have to be formal ministry. I'm not talking about being a pastor. I'm just talking about ministry service, like Levi, initially. Like just opening up your home. He didn't understand he was going to be an apostle to the same degree he would have at the end of the three years. That would have been far-fetched for him to grasp. He started simple, just opening up his home to people. And finally, finally, from Jesus' perspective, all people are spiritually sick until they receive his offer of forgiveness. That is true salvation. Amen.